I want to start by echoing, or start the same way that Jay Spencer did a couple of weeks ago by saying uh, how much I love this church. Um, uh, this is my family, and uh, uh, every one of you mean uh, a great deal to, to me and my wife and our family. Uh, Fifteen years ago this month, uh, I... Uh, moved to Paris, and a few months before I moved to Paris, we came to Paris on, a, on an interview visit, and uh, the, the hospital brought us in, showed us the town. It's the first time I ever set foot in Paris, and um, showed us around, and uh, we enjoyed that. We enjoyed meeting people, meeting the people the, in the medical community, and seeing the facilities and everything. And Sunday morning, we came to, they, they asked us where we went to church, and we said Church of Christ, and so the uh, Hoot Gibson, if you remember Hoot, uh, picked me up, me and my family up Sunday morning, brought us to church here at Lamar Avenue, and uh, and then I remember meeting many of you that are still here tonight, and um, the Stallings took us out to lunch after that, and some other people were there too, and uh, that more than anything made an impact on my family. And uh, we, we visited several towns uh, knowing that we wanted to move back to Texas somewhere uh, from, from Oklahoma as quick as we could, no. But uh, we knew we wanted to move back to Texas and so we, we interviewed in several cities in several communities and uh, but I think possibly even more than the job in the medical community was the impact this church made on us that first time we visited and just how we felt like we were a part here and, uh, after just one visit. And, uh, and that's the kind of church this is. It was loving, caring, and, uh, you know, and it, uh, it just grabbed our hearts. And uh, so I, I thank you for that, and uh, I do love this church. So uh, with that in mind, we were asked to speak about what we would like to say to God's people or something along those lines, which is a very broad topic. Um, I was told in a speech class I took a long time ago, uh, which didn't do much good, by the way. But, um, I was told to always start with a attention grabber or a story or an object lesson or something to get people's attention. And so I was searching through all the resources I have trying to find something. I came up with a story about an object lesson which convinced me that maybe I didn't need an object lesson. But here's the story. Uh, there was a preacher who wanted to prove the point about righteous living and proving that your body is a temple of the Lord and we should keep it clean. And so to, to, for his object lesson, he brought in four jars and four worms. And in the first jar, he had some whiskey in it. And he dropped the worm in that one worm into that jar. In the second jar, he had some cigarette smoke, put the lid on and cap captured the smoke in there, and dropped the second worm in that jar of cigarette smoke. In the third jar, he had filled with chocolate syrup, and he dropped the third worm in there. Fourth jar, he had filled with good dirt, and uh, he dropped the fourth worm in there. And he went on with his lesson, talked about how the body is a temple and we should uh, treat, it, treat it as such. And at the end of his lesson, he went to his 
experiment and opened the first jar with the alcohol and the worm was dead. The second jar, he pulled out the worm with the cigarette smoke and the worm was dead. And the third jar, he, with the chocolate syrup, he pulled out the worm and the worm was dead. The first, fourth jar, with good dirt, he pulled out the worm and the worm was alive. And bringing down his point, he says, so what does this tell you about how you should treat your bodies? And somebody raised their hand It says, well, if you drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes, and eat chocolate, then you won't get worms. So, sometimes, sometimes object lessons don't go exactly the way we want them to go. So I decided I better steer clear. And so that's the only funny story you're going to get tonight. The rest is just, the rest is just Bible, which is not a bad thing. But uh, I have a difficult time with broad topics like this. Uh, to speak what you would say to God's people is... That was overwhelming to me. Uh, you know, I make a list of that's a page long of things I would like to say, and my mind thinks I've got to say all of these things in this one lesson. And I know, uh, you know, these Wednesday night uh, series where the elders are speaking, if uh, I felt I've felt an overwhelming pressure. It's not because of any of you, it's just myself, but I feel like people are coming, you know, like this, okay, what's the elder going to say? And um, I was overwhelmed by that, and I, I had a hard time uh, focusing in on something to say, and uh, a friend of mine, Mr. Keith Bowman, uh, set me straight. He said, just stick to the word. And um, I thought about that, and, um, you know, what what I would like to say to God's people is not nearly as important as what God has to say to God's people. And so it's not about what I want, it's about what God wants. And I think, in a lot, hopefully, in a lot of ways, those are the same things. But that, that kind of refocused me, redirected me to look, look at the Scripture more instead of looking inside me more. And uh, I, I landed in 2 Timothy um, <clears throat> I like to imagine uh, Paul's letters uh, that he wrote, uh, I think 13 letters in all. I like to imagine those, and I've always done this, that, that they're written to me or to, to my church. And uh, I know they were all written to different uh, churches, different people back in the uh, early uh, first century, but... Um, and each of those churches and people they were written to had specific problems and things that they were dealing with at those times. But uh, I, the letters were included in, in Scripture for a reason, and I think the message they give is timeless. Even though we might not be going through the exact same things that those churches were going through, the things that uh, Paul says in those letters, that uh, God says through Paul, I think are timeless and uh, can really speak to us. And... Um, so I landed on 2 Timothy uh, for, for a few reasons. One, it's short and succinct, and uh, felt like I could get through it all. And um, two, uh, it's, 2 Timothy is a... Uh, Timothy was at Ephesus, and, and Paul had already written to the church at Ephesus, and then he writes letters to Timothy. So it's, this is a message for the church at Ephesus, but it's 
Timothy, this is what I want you to say to the church at Ephesus. Or, or Timothy, this is how I want you to, what I want you to convey to the church of Ephesus. And so I kind of took that in line as, Kyle, this is what I want you to say to the, not that I put myself on any level with Timothy by far, but, uh, but that kind of hit home with me. And uh, another thing is this was, um, very likely Timothy's last letter that he wrote, uh, or at least the last letter that's included in the scripture. In uh, several places, we know that he's about, he says that he's about to uh, to die, to meet to his end. And um, anytime somebody knows that their days are numbered, then the things they say take a higher level, I think, of urgency. And so I think we can learn a lot by seeing what people say when they know that they're about to die. Kind of like in John 17, Jesus' last recorded words, some of his last recorded words in his prayer. Those are very important words. These are some of the last recorded words of Christ. And these are some of the last recorded words of Paul, too. And so um, so for those reasons, I landed on 2 Timothy. I want to go through this book and just see what God has to say to his church at Lamar Avenue uh, through this passage. I like to read these letters, all of Paul's letters, in their entirety, and I urge you to do that yourself when you have time. Uh, but uh, most of them are short, except for, you know, Romans and Corinthians a little longer, but the rest of them are pretty short. You could read them in a short amount of time, and, and they have so much more meaning, I think, when you read them. If you get a letter in the mail from somebody you hadn't seen in a while, you don't go sit down and read one paragraph and put it down and then come back another day, read another paragraph. You sit down and you read the whole thing. And uh, it has a lot more uh, meaning, I think, that way. So I like to take the whole letter in its entirety. And we're going to do that with 2 Timothy. I'm not going to read it from start to finish like I, like I would uh, for the sake of time tonight. But, but we're going to take big chunks of it and... Uh, get through pretty much the, the whole uh, book. And I've got my clock up here. Try to keep me on. All right, we're going to start with uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. This is in 2 Timothy, if you want to follow along. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may, may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Right off the bat, what do we see from Paul? Same thing we see in just about every one of his letters is what? We see encouragement and we see his commitment to pray for this individual or these people. Paul is an encourager and he's a prayer warrior. And we can learn from that example. Romans, I admire your face. I thank God for you. I constantly pray for you. Corinthians, you have been enriched. You do not lack any spiritual gift. I thank God for you. 
Ephesians, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you in my prayers for all of you. I always pray for you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Colossians, I thank God when we pray for you, for your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all the saints. Thessalonians, I always thank God for you and remember you in my prayers. I commend your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In Philemon, I always thank God for you and remember you in my prayers because of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. There's a pattern there. Paul encourages, he starts off his talk encouraging whoever he's talking to. And he says, I am praying for you. There's a reason he starts his letters for this. This is one thing that we need the most, and it's one thing that every single one of us can do. And he says in all of these daily or constantly, it's not just on Sundays when he sees you in passing. Daily and constantly he's encouraging and he's praying. Quick example of how this is working here in our church. And, um, many of you have been on the receiving end of encouragement when you've had things uh, happen in your lives, and I know that. This episode with my dad is really the first time uh, since I've been here in this congregation that, that, that my family's gone through a, uh, something like this, uh, a serious health event. And um, this church has been, it's the first time I've experienced how this church can be in terms of encouragement in times of need. And I am so thankful and appreciative of that. Um, uh, Y'all have been wonderful with your, your calls, your, your, uh, your visits, and your talking. Uh, and uh, Jean Anthony, I don't want to embarrass you, but she has told me on more than one occasion, I pray for your mom and dad every day. And she has said that to me, and you don't know how much... Uh, that uh, means to me, Jean. And uh, just not to say it, but to know that you actually do that. So, um, so we're, we're doing good there, but we, we can all do better. Um, we also see in this passage the little touch of Paul reminding us to remember our roots and our heritage. He talked to Timothy about the faith that first lived in his grandmother and then his mother. Um, this will come up again in chapter 3, and we'll see in just a minute. So uh, this is another uh, topic that's important to me that I'd like to say to the, to the church is, is how faith is passed down within the family unit and how important the family unit is within the church, the bigger church family. And uh, talk about that more in chapter 3. Let's move on to the next little section here. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, and then into chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. <clears throat> so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death 
and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. This is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So from this little passage of 2 Timothy, I see the message that we need to be speaking boldly about Jesus Christ. We do not need to be ashamed. Remember, Timothy is not a foreign missionary. Uh, He's not somebody over in Brazil or Mexico. He's He's right there, right there in Paris, Texas. So that's where we need to be bold about speaking the gospel and not ashamed about it. It's easy when I, I've gone on mission trips, many of you have. It's, it's easy to, to speak the gospel when we go on mission trips for some reason. I, I've knocked doors on mission trips in Mexico, and I don't find that hard, knocking doors and talking to people and inviting them. to. I find it hard here in our neighborhood here. I shouldn't, but I do. But we, we, we don't need to be ashamed. We need to be able to speak boldly right here in our own backyard about Jesus Christ. Why why did Paul need to tell Timothy this? Do you think Timothy might have been struggling a little bit with this? He might have been having some of the same uh, fears or reservations that that I do or or some of you may. He may have been having some peer pressure, feeling like he couldn't speak up or uh, inferiority uh, complex. I don't know. But Timothy needed to hear this and Paul gave him what he needed to hear, and we need to hear this too. I think we, we need to be reminded uh, to be this way, and not just here within these walls. Again, it's easy to talk about God in here. It's not as easy out there. Uh, whether you're in the workplace, in your school, uh, on the sports field, in the stands, restaurants, parties, wherever you may be, That's where we need to be boldly speaking about Jesus Christ. Is it possible to get bogged down in church at the expense of the gospel? I think it is. I think it's possible we get so busy in church that we forget to boldly proclaim the gospel. So we've got to be reminded sometime. Paul, in in the end of... uh, this section here in verse 10, Paul says, I am worried about souls being saved. That's what I'm worried about. He's not worried about what they look like, where they came from, what they wear, what their preferences are. He's not worried about being politically correct, hurting somebody's feelings. He's worried about their soul's salvation, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal, eternal glory. Remember, he knows he's about to die. He knows his days are numbered. And these are thoughts that he considers 
some of the most necessary things to convey to Timothy, to boldly preach Christ and Christ crucified. Moving on, verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. <clears throat> Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the, the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from the wickedness. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for the special purposes, and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So, what do I get from this group of passages? I think Paul is telling Timothy, stay focused on the main thing. What is the main thing? It's what we just talked about in the last section. The gospel of Christ. Preaching Christ and Christ crucified. That's the main thing. And we need to stay focused on that. He's warning Timothy about getting bogged down into some of those things that distract from that. The them he's talking about is God's people. In other words, the church at Ephesus at that time, in our extrapolation, the church at Lamar Avenue. <clears throat> is don't quarrel over words and avoid godless chatter. It says this again in our next passage, verse 23. It says the same thing again in a different way. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. These are distractions. Don't get bogged down in distractions. Keep your eye on the prize. Now, this speaks to unity. It speaks to avoiding division. Uh, it doesn't mean that there can't be disagreements among God's people. But if those disagreements turn into situations that, uh, that cause disunity or cause division, then they are harmful. They are distracting from the main thing, which is the gospel of Christ. Um, similar to Christ's plea in, in John 17 about unity. But, uh, uh, several of the other elders in their talks have covered this topic, and uh, I am not going to camp out on that one for, for uh, very long. I want to move on and get on to some other things, up, but to say that, uh, that I think this is important uh, to Paul uh, that, to convey to Timothy in this situation. And he ends this verse by saying we can do more if we clear away the cutter, clutter. That last verse there, uh, get rid of the, the latter. He's talking about get rid of those things that are for common use. Uh, get rid of the clutter, the things that are bogging us down or distracting us. Get rid of those things, and then we can be instruments for special purposes, made holy, 
useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Moving on, verses 22 through 26 of chapter 2. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. This passage tells us that we need to recommit ourselves or commit ourselves if for the first time or recommit if we've done it before to godly living to pursue righteousness, faith, faith, love, and peace. Basically, that's godly living. Um, Again, Paul's main concern in in that passage seems to be with Timothy uh, staying away from foolish arguments. And so this must have been something that was going on there in Ephesus that that Paul needed to remind Timothy about. But but he also reminds Timothy to treat his brothers and sisters with love, kindness, and without resentment. He 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 says... Teach, guard them against the temptations of the world uh, or the trap of the devil, as he calls it, which can take you captive. You know, opportunity knocks only once, but temptation knocks constantly every day. Um, have we been taken by the, captive by the world? I think sometimes we have. We don't realize it. It's that cooking the frog deal where it happens slowly over years and years and you don't realize but I, but I think in many ways even even us even we're taken captive by the world and we've got to guard ourselves against that because the world is evil the world is the trap of the devil we must choose the things of God rather than the chain things of the world all right moving on here verse uh, chapter 3 uh, verses 1 through 9 But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but not denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into the homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, are far, who, are, who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So in this passage, Paul is giving Timothy a a stern warning. He talks about in the last days, and sometimes I think people read that and say, well, we're talking about sometime in the future. But we see in verse 5, Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with these people. So he's talking about present tense. He's talking about then, and he's talking about now. Until the whole time, until Jesus comes again. 
is this time that he's talking about. So it is now, just as much it was, it was relevant to, in Timothy's time, it's relevant today, and, and we don't have to go very far to realize that because this list that I just read uh, from this passage uh, sounds very familiar if you think about uh, the world around us, our culture. Uh, here in the Bible Belt, we are a little bit guarded. We still see a lot of these things here in the Bible Belt. You see it a lot more. Not long ago, I had a uh, medical education meeting I had to go to. It was in Las Vegas. And uh, it was a different world. Uh, you just walk out on the streets and watch and look at people. Well, it's neat to see, but, but you know, part of it's neat to see and amazing, but another part of it just makes you feel like you're in Babylon. You want to get out as quick as you can. So, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's our culture outside of the Bible Belt. And just look at a lot of the movies that uh, come our way. But uh, all of these things are going on right now. People are self-serving. People are selfish. People are money-hungry. People are prideful and boastful. Abuse, that's going on right here. I do CPS drug screens. They come in my office on a daily basis, kids who are abused, wives who are abused, people who are disobedient to parents. Another uh, plug for the fifth commandment, uh, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, the first commandment with a promise. And the reverse of that, if you don't honor your parents, things will not go well with you. So it doesn't say that, but we can infer that, and that's what we see uh, in our culture. People are ungrateful, unholy. There's slander and gossip all around us. There's lack of self-control. There's hedonism, the love of pleasure. It's all about having a good time. What can we do to have fun? I like to have a good time as much as the next one, but when that becomes our primary goal, it's a problem. And then he says, even having a form of godliness but denying its power, you know, he's saying, this may be a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Is that how that saying goes? A wolf in sheep's clothing. So you see, uh, or sheep in wolf's clothing. Which way does it go? A wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. So, uh, but is, he's saying it's even having the form of religion. People who look in the name of religion or in the name of God are, are doing these things and and uh, we've got to be careful. And uh, Paul says, mark this. Mark this, he tells Timothy. In other words, you take note. You need to be ready for this because you're going to see this and you need to be ready. You need to prepare God's people. Prepare your church for these, these things. We've got to stand up to them. We've got to be able to withstand them. All right, moving on. Uh, verses... Uh, 14 through 314 through 42. The last two sections we're winding down. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from you whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct and rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. It's clear we must be anchored in God's word. What do I want to tell God's people? We must be anchored in God's word. We can't get enough of it. Though the Holy, through the Holy Scriptures comes wisdom. Proverbs tells us that uh, in many different places. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our minds? We don't renew our minds by sitting in these pews and somehow through osmosis, you know, we're going to be renewed. And we don't get, renew our minds by getting some spine-tingling feeling out of, a, out of a worship experience. We renew our minds by actively searching the Scriptures. All Scriptures, it says. Not just parts of it, but all Scriptures. <clears throat> so we need to get back to the Word. I think we do a good job here, but I think we can always do better. There can never be enough of the Bible. Um, this passage also is made the plug for Deuteronomy 6, as I referred to others. Paul said, you know whom you have learned this from. He's talking about Timothy's mother and grandmother. And you have been taught from infancy. Paul's making a plug for Deuteronomy 6. He doesn't say it, but I know he is. He says, uh, uh, Deuteronomy 6, these commands I give you, impress them on your children. Talk about them day and night, whether sitting or walking. Write them on the door frames of your homes. This is what Timothy's mother and grandmother must have done. It wasn't the church that did that. It was his family, his parents. In this case, his mother and grandmother. His father apparently was not involved in that. But uh, it was his family. Uh, it's the primary job of the parents to hand faith down to their children. It's the primary job of the parents to teach the children Scripture. The church is important. The church is there to support. The church is there to equip parents to do this. The church is there to encourage. The church is, church is there to, to support the things that are taught in the home. But we can't depend on the church to teach these things to our children. You know, Jared and Andy get a one hour a week, two hours a week maybe. We can't depend on, on that in raising our children. It has to come from the parents and from infancy, as he says here. The last part of this passage talk, said, be prepared in season, out of season. Paul is saying, always be prepared to give an answer. Sounds very familiar uh, from 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Paul is saying the same thing to Timothy. Be ready. Uh, this kind of leans into a, a field called apologetics. And uh, I taught the high school. Some of you guys that were in the class remember this uh, from last uh, quarter. But uh, the word apology uh, doesn't mean I'm sorry. In our culture it does. But the, the word apology comes from the Latin apologia, which means give an answer. So if somebody accuses, accuses you of something, 
you respond with an apology. Sometimes that apology might be, I'm sorry. Sometimes that apology might be, no, that's not right. So an apology is an answer. And uh, apologetics is, in term Christian apologetics, is the study of how do you answer all the people in, around us who are saying all the things, there, how could God have created the world? How could a man have risen from the dead? How could this, is, this, this, and this have happened? Do you, uh, how can any intelligent person believe these things? And apologetics is the study of, of being able to answer. And I've, I've become very uh, uh, active in studying apologetics. I really uh, enjoy it. I've uh, got lots of books I've read, and I'm still uh, diving into them. I enjoy that. Uh, it's basically being able to explain why we believe why we be what we believe. Why, why do I believe in creation and, instead of evolution? And, and uh, from there on. And so very, very, very interesting. But I think that's what Paul is encouraging us to do is to don't just accept things. Be ready to give an answer. These people are coming with, with their accusations or, or their statements and we have to stand up to them as Christians. We have to answer them. We can't just sit back and let them keep saying like they do. I mean, in the last uh, few months, Hollywood's responded with some good movies that are trying to try to answer, like, like God's Not Dead. But before, before that, you know, we just get bombarded with all this worldly, ungodly propaganda. And the Christians just sit there and so we've got to stand up and say, no, it's not right, and this is why. And uh, I, I think we need to be better equipped to do that. All right, the last section I want to go through is uh, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Uh, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Some of the parting words of Paul are that hope must permeate every aspect of our lives. A crown of righteousness awaits uh, all of us, all of us who are willing to fight the good fight and keep the faith. Do we live as though we truly believe that? Do we live our lives as though we truly believe that there is a God, there is a Savior who died for us and wants so badly to give us that crown? If we truly believe that eternal life lies behind door number one, then why are we so tempted to go peek behind door number two? How can we continue to sin or do the things we do? How can we continue to, to neglect God in our daily lives? How can we continue to give God second, third, or fourth place in our daily priorities? How can we continue to ignore his pre pleas for unity, to show love for one another, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice for him? If we truly believe that, if we truly believe there is a God, he had a son, he sent that son to die for us, and he waits with the crown of righteousness, just aching to give us if we'll, if we'll accept it. Then 
they shouldn't be able to stop us from falling, falling prostrate and worship, worshiping him, giving them our all, everything within us, and living our lives daily and completely for him. He must permeate our thoughts and our conversations every bit of our lives 24-7. And that's one of the last things I would like to convey to God's people. Just in summary, from 2 Timothy, what I got out of those passages, what I would like to convey to God's people, encourage one another and pray for one another daily. Boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in our area without shame. Focus on the main thing. Stay focused on the main thing, which is the gospel of Christ. And avoid distractions and be united. Be committed to godly living, not worldly living, but godly living. Be prepared for the godlessness that we will encounter. Meet it hand on and stand against it. Anchor ourselves in God's word. Raise our children on God's word in our homes 24-7. And finally, have hope and let our lives reflect that hope daily. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we love you so much. We thank you so much for giving us life. We thank you for the rich blessings we enjoy. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to us. And I pray, Father, that your words can cut to our hearts, that, can, that it can pierce whatever barriers that we may have erected, and that it may touch our hearts, that we may hear your pleas for us, your pleas that we love one another, that we encourage one another, your pleas that we boldly speak about you outside these walls. Without, a, without shame, your pleas that we stand up against godlessness and that we live our lives in a godly way. Your pleas that we remain rooted in your word and that we teach our children these things. And your pleas, Father, that we live our, lo our lives with hope that our lives reflect the love we have for you, the devotion we have for you, and the love we have for you. This is my prayer, Father, for myself and for your people, especially your people here at Lamar Avenue Church who so desperately want to please you. I pray this in your name. Amen.